I wanted to explore how we live our lives in certainty, only to discover that we really know nothing, that the truth is we are philosophically blind. And yet, the human mind cannot help but tell itself narratives to explain the world. The human mind cannot help but embrace the void. Hello, good evening, and remain indoors. Have you tried kill all the poor? You are not a Buddhist. You are in a cult. Suck it, Nietzsche. The wave returns to the ocean. Where it came from. And where it's supposed to be. Not bad, Buddhists. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 141 of Embrace the Void, where it's apparently secularism month. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we have another wonderful friend from the secular community. So let us once again come together remotely, not join hands, and definitely not pray. All life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... Something. My guest this week is Kevin Bowling, Executive Director of the Secular Students Alliance. Kevin, would you like to say hi to the void? Uh, it's uh, hello and good morning for us here. Um, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for, for coming on. We just had your friend uh, Neil Polson on. And, and honestly, I was a little surprised how quickly he sold you out when I asked who else I could feed to the void. Um, if you have any desire that you want to like smack talk him or Ryan Bell at any point in this interview, please feel free. Both friends of the show and this is a safe space. So, so just let it out is what I'm saying. No, that's that's good. I, I'm sure I'll come up with some stories with Neo. We're, we're, we always have a fun chatter back and forth, so it's all good. How long have you all known each other for? I've been involved with the secular movement for about three years now. And so Neo was one of, I think, in that sort of cohort, one of the first people I, I've met. Um, so both of us being sort of in the Los Angeles area, um, we have known each other for, for all that time and have formed, I think, a very good relationship at the beginning. So so it's been, it's been fun. And I think Camp Quest and, and Secular Student Alliance, there's a lot of, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of overlap and a lot of mutual things that we work on together. So, um, so yeah. yeah, so we have a lot of chances to run each other. That makes sense. Um, now, I want to talk about the secular stuff, but I noticed as I was looking back, you know, doing a little internet stalking, um, you have a pretty long history, actually, of organization work, like several of the uh, community organizers we've had on in this show. What, what sort of started you down the path of being a sort of organizer of social justice related issues, as far as I can tell? I started actually in higher education. So I uh, went to University of South Carolina. I have my master's in student personnel services. So specifically to work in college universities with students. Uh, And so it's Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of time in a student's life is very developmental. It's really when they're sort of forming their identity and sort of leaving their parental um, sort of, you know, uh, paradigm and started to form all those relationships for themselves. And that's when those sort of those critical thinking skills kick in and they started to develop who they are as a person. So there's a little bit of transition there of 
for in that world of finding out what students are interested in their passions and uh, and clearly there's a lot of sort of social justice you know issues related in higher education just with inclusion and diversity and for many mm-hmm. people getting outside their normal sphere of of people they grew up with and all these different people so you've started you have to sort of start incorporating that into your life um, but I knew that for me. Uh, what I did on a daily, daily, you know, day uh, mm-hmm. in my work was important to me. That every day I left doing something that I felt like I made the world a little bit better, that I helped someone in their life, and those sorts of things. So I've been, yes, I've been involved in a variety of nonprofits in some very different uh, sort of realms. Um, but it's mm-hmm. always if the, the common thread to me is it's always been about helping people and um, making people's lives better. And so for for everything I've done, and that's sort of what makes me feel good at the end of the day. If there was some like basic, you know, the thing you could try to t- say to every newly coming in college student to try to help them on their way, are there any sort of key bits of, of insight that you feel like, or not even, you know, they don't have to be super you know, wise, but just stuff like, hey, remember to do X, Y, Z on a regular basis. Uh, students coming into college? Yeah. Uh, I, th- it's a little bit, it's a little bit simple, but mm-hmm. I think one of the best things is, um, is get involved in your campus. So whether that's a student group, whether that's the campus newspaper, whatever it is, get involved in your campus. So you have the, uh, a community, you build your own community on the campus. So you are, um, you are a smaller family within this large, huge organization. Um, and, and, you know, the technical side involvement shows better retention rates, better satisfaction rates, better, you know, it's, it's a much better experience when students get involved. And the, the thing that always worked for me um, was go to class every single time, go mm-hmm. to class, no mm-hmm. matter what, go to class. So if, I, if there's two things, those are the two. I, I strongly agree with both. Uh, I think, uh, especially the first one, I remember, I'm now vividly remembering when I got to UVA the first day, I immediately went looking for what like, like theater groups there were on campus, because I had done a bunch of theater in, in high school, um, and happened to fall into my wonderful Shakespeare on the Lawn group at UVA, and they have been uh, a joy to me ever since. Um, so, and then, yeah, I think the class one is important, I think, it takes a while for people to realize what they're, you know, losing out on when they don't go to class more regularly. And it's so easy to get in the habit of not doing it um, that I think, yeah, it's, you know, just just show up. Right. There's so much value of just being in that room, um, though, you know, on the other hand, like there are, are there is some data that suggests that there are issues with the in-classroom learning situation. And um, I'm not sure. You know, there could be other models, obviously, but I do think that, yeah, I think those are great pieces of advice. Um, so so after doing all of that stuff, it looked like you also spent like 10 years or so as an executive director of the California Thoroughbred Horsemen's Foundation, uh, which it appears to be a charity helping uh, employees within the thoroughbred um, industry. Is that right? Uh, correct. So. Yeah. Y- so yes, so yeah, it's uh, so it's the backstretch workers. So most people, if you've ever been to horse racing, mm-hmm. um, so there's uh, most people are used to the front side of the track. So the back side of the track and uh, is an entire city amongst itself. And mm-hmm. so, so the people who train and take care of the horses is who that organization was serving, Does and largely providing. Uh, the jockeys actually have their own services. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, they're the, the jockeys are, are fairly fortunate in that aspect. Um, but so like your, your groom, your hot walker, um, 
your assistant trainer. Uh, so, and you know, your average groom make may make about a hundred dollars a week, working seven days a week, uh, wow. living on the backstretch with the horses and those sorts of things. And so, you know, up at at three o'clock in the morning, and you know, back at at five o'clock in the morning or five o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so th- that particular organization in the state of California. So there are about five thousand licensed backstretch workers, uh, plus their family members. Uh, and so, yeah, medical, dental, and some social services that we provided throughout the state. That's a really unusual sort of charity. It doesn't immediately sort of jump to mind, I think, in the list of, of like charities people would think of. So I'm curious how you how you got into that particular world and what it was like trying to do to address issues in that industry. So I started in, it came a little bit from my experience in higher education. In I mm-hmm. worked at California State University of Los Angeles and Cal State Dominguez Hills, uh, both of which in the CSU educational system, the unions and student governments are 501c3 nonprofits within the higher ed system. Mm-hmm. So in California, uh, it was eight years of nonprofit management experience. And then on top of that, I used to ride horses competitively, not racing, uh-huh. um, but dress shot, dressage and three day eventing. Uh, so just, you know, it was for fun as what, and then doing shows. I, we happened to live in Spain at the time. So I was doing, you know, sort of national and international shows in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that it was sort of a, a strange confluence of that uh, working for a short time in, with an organization that did um, uh, mostly worked with Pfizer, but did continuing education for physicians. So those sort of three things came together, uh, and it was it, it was a fantastic job. So <laughs> some of the most hardworking people that uh, and dedicated people I've ever worked with, as far as the backstretch workers and what they did. Um, and I think really trying to live the, you know, the U.S. American dream of trying to, you know, making it, making better, giving back to their families, those sorts of things. Um, and the racing industry is is very interesting. So you I'm, clearly you have that ultra affluent, wealthy aspect mm-hmm. to it. And then you have this rather low socioeconomic portion of it as well. And so the people we worked you know with were, again, you know, I think super needy. Um, I think there's a the racing industry uh, slowly took recognition that we needed to be taking care of our people that take care of their horses. Um, and uh, oddly, the the man who started the um, foundation was Noble Three with who, if you there's um, the movie Seabiscuit, he was actually mm. the trainer involved mm-hmm. in that. Um, so he's not him personally, but in the movie and those sorts of things, but he's the one that started the organization mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's, it's sort of been a you know, very good thing of the industry taking care of its own. And I think the reality for the state of California is the vast majority of people who were our clients would have used emergency rooms for their medical care, which is highly more, you know, which is much sure. more expensive for especially you know, taxpayers. It's, and it's not the best system of, of, of medicine. So we had clinics on the backstretches at the racetracks. We could do a lot of, uh, of care there. And then, you know, for, we had contracts with hospitals and those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. if we needed to refer someone out, we had, you know, options for hospitals and specialists and operations and we did knee surgeries. And I mean, you name it, we really were trying to do as much as we we could. And, you know, at a, at a much better experience for the batch worker and a cost savings for the taxpayers in the state. 
So you've worked with both academia and uh, thoroughbred horse racing. I'm curious, between those two, which would you say is the more exploitative system? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be racing. No. So whether it's oh no, by it, a it, nose, I bet right. Excuse me, by a nose. Uh no, I um no, oh not at all, no, <laughs> no. Oh, it's uh, really bad over there because it's really it's not great in academia. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah, no horse racing by 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 far in that. So and I've had a very good experience with with higher education and academia. Um, I, I mean, I was in it, uh, and you know, at I think a very foundational level of working with the students and and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So, um, so yeah, I. While do I think our system is perfect? Clearly not at all. Do I think, and I think the um, there are many things working within higher education that continue to try to advance and change and progress it, which I think is important for any aspect of what we're doing. Um, but I, yeah, I do think our our system of higher education is probably one of the better in the world. Fair enough. Um, you also mentioned dressage there. I'm curious. Do you have any interest in like the animal ethics side of those things? Do you feel like Dressage does a pretty good job on the animal ethics front. I, I think uh, dressage and and eventing are going to were much more ethical uh, in the entire sphere than than racing. So a horse hmm. in in sort of show you know sort of competitive showing uh the horse the age of the horse is much less important you have a much longer lifespan with the horse um the and it's and you want the horse to be healthy uh mm-hmm. it's you know, very different training regiments a very different demanding on the horse so and you know i think santa anita um over this last year has made a lot of news with the, the what they call breakdowns which is death of horses on the racetrack mm-hmm. um and so that's you don't see the racing world is really where you see that and not in other areas of, of horse ownership and horse showing and, and those sorts of things. Speaking, while we're on this topic, I'm just curious, do you have any particular perspective on in New York city, there's a debate about the horses that are used in central park for carriage rides. Do you feel like, do you have any sense of the the quality of life that they're experiencing relative to the dressage horses, for example? My get I, that's, when you that comes down to me to a very capitalistic uh, mm-hmm. enterprise, and so the care of the horse is not what's going to be foremost. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that world, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from personal experience. So um, I can imagine a little bit, and that's not if I had a horse, that's not where I would want my horse. You're right, right. Did you ever compete against Mitt Romney when you're doing dressage? I, I did not. So uh, I didn't do anything in the United States. And uh, so most of mine was in uh, Spain, Morocco, uh, mm-hmm. in that area. So so you were living over there for a while, you said? How long were you in Spain? Uh, for four years. So uh, my father was is uh, was in the Navy. And so we moved around the United States and, and lived overseas for four years. So in Spain. Did you, which, which is better, which do you feel like you've enjoyed more living in Spain or living in America? Live, I, we lived in Spain for most of my high school, and I think those mm-hmm. are, one, very formative years. Um, my parents really took a, a, a decided it was important for both my brother and I to get us out and experience um, different cultures and you know foods. And so we, we did a good bit of traveling, which when you're there is very easy to do and very cheap to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely loved uh, uh, living in Spain. Uh, and just, you know, what we were, you know, able to do and those sorts of things. So, yeah, 
the U.S. has has great things. Uh, I love being a U.S. citizen. I love you know living in the United States. Um, but there is uh, was something fantastic and magical about that time, um, which mm-hmm. will always have a special place in my heart. Well, since they're all trapped inside right now and can't hit up the tapas bars, uh, do you want to maybe tell us like uh, were there specific Spanish dishes that are particularly close to your heart? Uh, there are some things we, there are some things we remember from living there. We used to go. It was Ventaladufana, which everyone mm-hmm. on the base called Chicken in the Dirt because it had a it was a restaurant but had a dirt floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know there was just we, I used to remember like they just would bring an insula, um, you know mixed salad and insula mixta and you would dip your bread in the you know the the dressing on the bottom and we used to, everyone used to go to Sarge's, which the only thing they served was garlic chicken. Um, and mm. so you would come in and you'd be at a table and they'd just like, how many? It's like, how many people? And mm-hmm. so that's how, you know, he, they already knew how many chickens you were getting. And then did you want a salad or not? So salad, and you would, you were there for, you people would bring Monopoly games. No. Um, because when that, you know, like literally your meal began to be prepared when you sat down at the table. Um, and so there was just, you know, so uh, my husband and I actually went back to Southern Spain. I was like, you know, it was formative of my life. And I let, let's go back and expand. And so there are like many small additions, you know, shrimp pill pill. Um, we were uh, just, it's a, you know, shrimp and butter and garlic and wine. It's only these little mm. spices. You just put it on top of bread and it's just, uh, and then we were, we ate this little tiny little restaurant, like actually in the sand on the med and um, like had some of the best little, uh, baby calamares that I can remember and just mm-hmm. steak of, you know, so it was just, there's just some, some nice experiences about being there and it, part of it's the environment and, you know, you know, those sorts of things, but yeah, we'd go back in a minute. Yeah. It sounds amazing. I mean, I guess it's probably a little hard, right? We're not gonna be going back there anytime soon. And, um, you know, the political climate there has been kind of off and on, it seems like. So, um, did you do you feel like you you mentioned that you your husband do you have um, different experiences there versus here in terms of um, feeling accepted or do you feel like you get more like uh, weird responses over there or do you feel like they've they've also kind of mellowed on those um, gay rights issues as well? I think for most of Europe, I think mm-hmm. the you know the Europe that we that sort of the anglified Europe that we think of automatically. I really think you know being gay is not an issue whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I th- I think now in the United States, um, with the sort of progression of of really Christian nationalism that we're seeing, uh, that's becoming more and more difficult for people in rural areas. I live in Los Angeles, so. Mm-hmm. clearly not an issue you know for me um on an everyday living basis uh but i think for you know for queer, general queer and especially trans people in the conservative areas um rural areas it, i think it's becoming increasingly more difficult in the united states where mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't think there's the same thing that's happening in europe yeah i would agree there is like backsliding here as culture polarizes in the way that it has been um, so, okay, so how did you get from the horse world back to Secular Student Alliance then? Uh, so, I, uh, so yes, 10 years with the California Thoroughbred Horseman Foundation. I actually worked, uh, I was volunteering for about 12 years with the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't sing, so I was more on the programmatic uh, implementation side. And I actually worked for the chorus for two years. Mm-hmm. Um so doing fundraising and fund development of, and some, working on the events and tickets and shows and those sorts of things. Um, and 
uh, a recruiter uh, that I had worked with before gave me a call and said, I think I have a job for you. Um, so, and that was, you know, it was a bit out of the blue. Um, so, but it was, it was, you know, it was the, the job with the secular student Alliance and I, you know, had not heard of it before. And I was like, okay, tell me about this a little bit. Um, and so we started on the conversation and it sounded very interesting. Uh, and I think for, for me, I had, I knew I didn't believe in God, uh, and hadn't for a long time. Um, but I never would have used the word, like I never would have identified myself with being hmm. uh, secular in the sense of, a, you know, sort of non-religious advocate, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, separation of church and state issues, extremely important. I understood the components, you know, why, and especially in my life, uh, that's, you know, that, that that rings true and those sorts of things. So, um so yeah, it, start, it started with that conversation and the aspect of being back sort mm-hmm. of in within higher education on sort of the other side of it, working with students on, you know, in high school and college campuses all across the United States was extremely um, uh, important to me um, and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. desirable. So, so yeah, that was sort of the, the foray back into it. Were you, you mentioned you haven't believed in God for a long time. Were you raised religious and was there something in particular that disabused you of those notions? I, I, uh, my, we grew up, I grew up in a uh, Roman Catholic uh, home. Um, I was, I was an altar boy for years and my Mm. mother was, it was, and my mother's family was very religious. My grandparents went to church every single day. Um, And I think my, my mother didn't like that the church, um, you know, its position on women and women being involved in the church, which Mm -hmm. I completely agree with her. Um, And so she sort of, and I don't, she always taught us that like the Bible was, were stories and you had to, you couldn't take those at face value, which is against, you know, which with the church would not align with on Mm -hmm. a truly philosophical point. Um, And so you had to take those stories and put them into your own life. And the, the value of that, or, you know, sort of the end story of all that really should be how you're making, you know, what you're doing to make your life better for other people. And, and that's just, you know, doing good was sort of the simple value out of, out of all of it. Um, so I, so, and her position, she always challenged the priest and and those sorts of things against, again, against their sort of regards for women. So I sort of saw a bit of that challenge and the real, the, I think the messaging that, you know, it, these are stories and you've got to personalize this and really it's about doing good. Um, so I think for, and I think for many students and with the Secular Student Alliance, we know that probably about, 70% of our students grow up in religious households. And mm. so SSA is really sort of uh, typically a starting point for them in, in their uh, identification as being secular, non-religious, and sort of, uh, you know, that sort of familial family or group that sort of provides support for them as they're sort of working through uh, their family issues. So it's only about 13% of our students actually grew up in a secular or non-religious home. That's great that you mentioned that because I was going. To, I wanted to ask about that statistic because I grew up in a in a non religious home and have been sort of late in coming to the secular atheist movement writ large, um, and I wonder if you have any if you felt like or you've had experience where 
it, it sort of is the fact, you know, that converts are more, not like more zealous, but in this case, I think more looking for, you know, feeling of connection and community that they weren't getting from their family because of that difference in religion or philosophical beliefs. Um, and so I wonder... Do you, do you experience there being kind of a bit of a split within the, like, not like a, a confrontational split, but at least like, you know, there are sort of two breeds of secular individuals, those who grew up in this stuff and then those who didn't, if that makes a difference. You know, I, well, I think if we look at uh, sort of religion from the overview perspective, one thing that religion does really well is building community. So mm-hmm. if you're in a church and, you know, you're, uh, you know, your your family is going to have a child, or someone is sick, or whatever the circumstances are. You pretty much know that you have people who will be coming to assist you and bring you casseroles, and you know all the the sort of traditional fun sort of things that happen within church and youth groups within church, and you know uh, d- various ministries, and you know large parts some community service. Why they wouldn't exactly call it that sort of things. So there's a, I mean, so there's a real aspect of community that's built in a church and there's reasons why they do it to keep people, you know, mm-hmm. it's harder sure. to, you know, there's multiple reasons why they do that and why it's successful for them in keeping people indoctrinated. So, um, but I think for people who are leave that, uh, then there, there is this sense of I've lost something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for the secular mu- movement and to have local communities who, who help provide, one, fill that gap, but also provide an opportunity for people to be comfortable in having conversations about non-religion or having conversations about doubt or having, or being able to just, you know, be a little anti-religion for a while while you sort of, you know, sort of, he, you know, heal internally inside. I think those are important things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, People who grew up in in secular households, and I didn't, so I'm speaking a little bit from what I've heard from other people, but don't don't have that same need. And our organization, the SSA, plays a different, you know, a slightly different place uh, for them. But I really do think for and I for students leaving religion in college, growing up from a religious household. Um, there's also the aspect of the family, and we deal with this mm-hmm. a lot. Of my family may not be supportive, so will I leave my family? So I need to fill that in with a, another family. And I can find that here on campus with this group of people who have gone most, you know, and partly through similar situations that I have. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It never, you know, until recently, I just didn't, it wasn't like I was opposed to the idea of being involved in secular, but it, like when I got to college, it wouldn't have occurred to me to go looking for a group of atheists to hang out with or a group of secular individuals to hang out with. It just wasn't, it was sort of like an implicit part of my identity, it felt like, rather than something. And then like, and, and you know, now I've gotten sort of pulled into movement stuff more. And I think there's a lot of conflicts within the movement that I think are important philosophical debates. Um, and we can talk about those in a, here in a second. Um, sure. and, and now I feel sort of like there's, there's more of a, a need. But yeah, I guess I just, growing up, I didn't feel sort of a strong draw towards being involved in that particular kind of community. Um, but let's talk about SSA for a little bit more. What is What do you see as the like, mission statement overall? Is it just create a space for people to be openly secular? Is there anything else that you would add to that as part of the mission statement? 
Well, I think that's the foundation of it. So we really look at, um, so it's about building community, helping students form their their identity, being proud of that. Um, and then the, sort of the end goal is that we want students to be advocates in their life and whatever that is. So if that's, you know, about separate church and state issues, if that's, you know, about environmentalism, if that's about whatever that is, um, we want them to be continue to be advocates. And, and part of ours, we also want them to be involved in the secular movement. We think there's, you know, there's clearly large coordinated efforts that help us move, um, move things forward in the United States, whether that's politically and socially, I think faster, mm-hmm. more coordinated. And so there's, a, there's clearly a benefit there. But we really look at, we're not just with the students while they're in school. We also want to, you know, we always say, you know, when you graduate, you're no longer a member of a chapter, but you're still a member of the Secular Student Alliance. Mm-hmm. Would you distinguish between advocating and proselytizing, for example? Is there a salient difference there? Um, well, I think a, a bit of that could, it, I think, comes to intent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that when you're sort of advocating over something, my hope is that that comes from sort of your personal inherent um, viewpoints and your your paradigm within the world. Uh, I th- the proselytizing, I think, because of its automatic association to religion, to me, is it doesn't really. Uh, it's someone else telling you to do it, or, and it's the and the hmm. paradigm of here's we're going to teach you how to do this. Now you have to go out and do this, and you know some religions were shipping you off places to go and do this, and this is what you have to do every day, and it's very prescribed. And so, the intent to me is extremely different, and the purpose of it it's, to me is extremely different. So. So I even, do see it very differently. So even if we, if, if we had the funding, you wouldn't like send out um, secular missionaries or something. <laughs> well, um, the, well uh, if if we had funding, would we have a network of people all across the United States <laughs> to help students? Uh, to mm-hmm. help students, yes, we would. Uh, one of our basis is we still want everything that we do to be student initiated. So it's. A student, you know, we it's a student contacting us or someone identifying a student that we reach out and is like, hey, is this something you want to do? We'll help you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the student's got to be the one on the ground doing it. This and 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 that becomes they're making the decisions about what events and programs they do on their campus. They're de- determining when their meetings are. They're determining everything that happens with their organization. And we are there to support. And we give lots of you know everything that we give the students is free. The, okay. the, the supplies and marketing and uh, you know grants and people vo- vo- you know volunteer for our speakers bureau at reduced rates and so the things that we provide to all the students are for free but we want it to be student initiated okay in more normal times what sorts of activities do you all organize the on the individual campuses the, the students uh, will the chapters will do a wide variety of programs so lectures discussions debates uh, they do fun sort of you know gaming and uh, community service projects um, interfaith panels um, some of our we have a chapter in Missouri who was who would was actually partnered with uh, crew campus crusade for life um, mm-hmm. and so one month. They, and that you know the two organizations would get together once a month, and one month crew would pick the movie that they watch and have discussion with afterwards. So hmm. generally, you know, religious based. And then the next month, SSA would pick the movie and have a conversation about it. So you know, clearly some different, but it was all this. It was about learning and coming together, and you know, it was it was really about building bridges from two very different perspectives. Um, and there has to be a level of mutual respect. And that's not the case always. We've, we've had, you know, chapters who, uh, um, mm-hmm. 
not crew, um, but religious groups, you know, harassing and taunting and ripping down posters and writing, you know, scribbling on stuff and, you know, and being fairly harassing to our, our chapters. Yeah. I was going to um, ask if that, if you'd ever experienced friction with other groups in that kind of way. Um, has there ever been like situations where you had to come down on an SSA chapter because they were the ones sort of antagonizing religious groups? We, uh, nothing come, as you said that nothing comes to mind about that specifically. And I think we, if you, you know, I think one of the missions of our, our chapters is clearly, you know, ha- having a, a, a quality space for non-religious students. Um, and I will say that we do have re- student, religious students who are members of SSA. Um, but there also is a separation of churches. When you look at religion, it's the freedom of religion and from religion. It's how we also you know, frame it in most of the, the second movement. We do that as well. So many of our chapters have worked in some accord with Muslim or Hindu groups, sort of quote unquote minority religions in the, the United States for, to get additional funding or where, uh, you know, the typical Christian groups may be seeking benefits that other, you know, other groups within that quote unquote religious sector aren't. Um, so they often will pair with that because there, there is, there are similarities uh, and disparities that they feel, you know, somewhat equally with some of the quote minority religions. So we really, I would say, have much more of a cooperative relationship um, in those aspects than mm-hmm. uh, than any disagreements. What about with universities? Have you ever had any friction with administration folks about what you're doing on campus? Uh, I think less and less. Um, I think there's there one is a bit more of the legal side um, mm. of allowing groups and those sorts of things, which we have definitely seen a decrease in. Um, and whenever we've had a problem, Freedom from Religion Foundation, um, we know their lawyers well. They are very, I mean, one, they're fantastic people just on the side, but also just a great uh, resource for us. And anytime we've had a problem, they will prioritize that um, and help us in a, in a heartbeat. So um, great relationship there. And so we've we've seen a decrease in all of that. And they continue to fight on multiple multiple spheres within um, education just in general. There's then there's you also sort of have the programmatic side. Um, mm-hmm. And so every once in a while we'll have something. So we uh, every year nationally, we try to launch a program. So whether it's uh, a tour with um, Andrew Seidel and his recent book that came out and trying to bring that to campuses. Um, we did uh, two years ago, we did Bill Nye's uh, documentary um, and we brought that around just so that chapters could do that for their chapter or for the entire campus. And then last year we did Hail Satan. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, th- p- pitching that to some campuses where they were choosing to do it as a campus wide program, um, you know, raised a few questions uh, and we provided some information to the students ahead of time. So that, you know, here's some things you're going to want to say about it. If you get questions and those are things. So we didn't, we uh, every campus that wanted to show it, showed it. Um, we also do graveyard of the gods. So it's a series of hmm. posters of the, you know, two, 3000 gods that's no longer exist anymore. <laughs> um, and so it's little tombstones of them. And, and it's to spark discussion about, there are gods that we no longer believe in. So when, you know, possibly the God you believe in also may have that same fate at some point. And we also bring the point of like, okay, there's, you know, 
of the 2000 gods, there's, you know, 1,999 that we agree don't exist. So it's really just one we don't agree on. So we're really much closer and, you know, in our thought patterns uh, on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have had chap, we have had schools who have been very sort of hesitant uh, about this. I think again, with the growing sense of Christian nationalism on campuses uh, and how litigious um, outside organizations, Christian organizations are being to sort of, push that on college campuses. Um, so yeah, we've, we've had a little bit of problem there, but most of the time we're not bad. Uh, we do have some schools at religious universe, at private religious universities. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a bit of a, you know, a bit of a different story compared to your public university. I think it's a really cool program for, you know, starting a conversation about polyatheism. Uh, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And that's also, I think, probably the third time that Andrew Seidel's name has been evoked on this show, which means I think, <laughs> according to the law, he's required to come on the show now. So I'll, I'll hit him up for that later. I appreciate that. Um, sure. So how are your students coping with the current situation? How are, how are they dealing with the, the COVID stuff? Are y'all um, doing any activities to help them along with the situation? So in, I guess it was the beginning of March, uh, probably uh, we actually had, uh, we started the secular spring break uh, two years ago. We were in Puerto Rico and this year we were in the Bahamas. Um, We actually had a group of students uh, for a week in the Bahamas, uh, rebuilding homes and, and, you know, on, on great Abaco Island. So the, the big picture with the, uh, the hurricane in Bahamas, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the island that just got devastated. So we had uh, so spring break. We had a group of students uh, who were there, uh, and we had another group of students who were leaving the next week to go for another week uh, during their spring break. Um, and that's the time when basically every college campus within that week mm-hmm. said we're closing down. Yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah. One is we worked to get all those students back to the to the U.S. and, a st- and one of our staff members. Um, but also every single program that we had planned throughout the entire semester was canceled within a few days. Um, and so we also, you know, our students are being told, you know, you've, you have 24 hours to get home. You've got to clear out. Some mm-hmm. of our students were already on spring break. So there was, you know, spring breaks were being extended and those sorts of things. So for a few weeks, it was really a sense of confusion and, you know, not knowing what was going to happen uh, for our students. Uh, mm-hmm. So for some of our students, it meant it meant you know a president being a president of SSA and being act, clearly active on your campus as you know a, as a secular person and doing secular things all the time and pro, you know, hosting programs and and those sorts of things and all of a sudden that sort of set down and you're back in a family who may not know that you're non-religious or may not be supportive that you're non-religious mm-hmm. um, so, or you know or going back to a very you know conservative community. Um, so we took it as as an from the national office is uh with over within about a week we completely shift our focus um so we started offering uh virtual programming from mm-hmm. the national office so some hangouts just for our students to come together and talk with each other um about what was going on and so the the beginning was very you know talking about the confusion and everything that was happening and those sorts of things so just again sort of expanding that expanding the sense of the community they had on their campus, but making that in a virtual world where they could still have that, that sense and that connection and those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, a bit therapeutic, if you will, um, mm-hmm. just of uh, being able to talk about what was going on and share that with someone else who could understand. Um, so, but we, we now offer a series of hangouts that are specifically designed for our students and they're a little bit more topic oriented now. Um, and most of those are being facilitated by, uh, 
student alumni or uh, student leaders. Um, so they're le facilitating hmm. those. We started with a series of webinars, um, so on a variety of different topics. So uh, um, we have co one coming up next week that's talking about uh, the book, The Plague. So talking mm -hmm. about you know, the plague during a plague. Um, so uh, Greg Epstein, uh, there's uh, I can't there's a another person who's going to be on the panel and then Ryan is going to moderate that. I'm upset that I, I'm pulling a Mitt Romney. I can't think of the third <laughs> one. Um, or a, uh, no, that's, um, what's it? Uh, a Perry, Rick Perry. Oh, there you go. Yes. Another yes. Rick. Um, uh, so yes. Uh, so, uh, but so yes, we're offered a series of programs. Um, that we also for fun and just get people's mind off things. We offered a series of gaming, so where the students can come on and play Cards Against Humanity online and World of Warcraft and sort of fun, just fun things to get your mind off of what's going on. Um, so a lot of the realizing that most of our students, you know, had to move back home, lost their jobs that they had on campuses, lost their community, mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. A lot of the things that were, you know just making sure that they're aware of resources. So, and, you know, enterprise was offering free car rentals and U-Haul mm -hmm. was offering free storage. And so just making sure our students were aware of all that and the, the new classification with the unemployment. And so their educational and social world collapsed, but also their, their employment world collapsed for the most part at the same time as, as well. Right. Um, so, so, so going through the, all that, we, um, we realized that most of our students wouldn't be having, a graduation um, mm -hmm. at the end of this uh, at the end of this semester. So we're starting a virtual. We're having a virtual graduation on uh, May thirtieth, um, and so clearly for our student graduates, our SSA members, so high school and in college. But we realize in the larger secular community, there's a lot of students who are on non-religious families who won't be having that as well. And so we've opened it up and told the rest of the secular organizations, hey, please let please let your members know who have graduating students, and they are more than welcome. So we send uh, little honor cords um, hmm. so that those students would normally wear at graduation. That's, you know, so it's a little uh, blue and white uh, honor cord, so a bit of the humanistic colors. Um, and then we realized most of our students probably have their caps and gowns at this point because you had to order them ahead of time. Um, mm -hmm. But if you don't, we're sending a we're sending a cap and a tassel, uh, you know, free to all the students. So they have those getting their pictures. And so we'll have where it'll be, you know, a little. Uh, you know, commencement, uh, commencement talk. We'll have a couple student speakers, sort of your valedictorians, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And then we'll show the pictures of our, our students. Uh, so with their, you know, major in what school they are, and then just have some little congratulatory uh, little messages to our students and those are things. And then for them, they'll have a little hangout where they can hang out and talk some more um, with that. So That's really I, I think the last thing we did is uh, we had our summer conference, um, which gonna, was going to be in, in DC this year. Um, and we actually were working with the Secular Coalition of America and uh, American Atheists, and we're going to have a lobby day. Um, so our conference is on the weekend, so uh, Saturday and Sunday conference. And then Monday, we were actually going to have appointments, uh, do, do the training and mm -hmm. have appointments for our students to go and talk with their elected officials. Hmm. Um, so clearly all of that had, is, you know, is, is, has been canceled. And so we're now we're it's been a lot. So we're, uh, we're, now done we're, now. Offering, we're done with all of that now. <laughs> no. <laughs> now we're offering a virtual conference. So to be July 22nd through the 25th, it'll be multi-day. And so there'll be live aspects to it where people can join, have live conversations and those sorts of things. And then we'll also have some video on demand. So if you miss something, you can you know watch it later at, at you know your own pace uh, and those things. So some of it will be sort of your 
you know, your speeches and panel discussions, and then other be sort of very workshoppy stuff. So for mm-hmm. local groups, how to build welcoming communities and, you know, um, and those sorts of things. So we're looking at it being sort of stuff we can also use later on to help local art chapters and local groups in the SEC community be stronger and be more effective and those sorts of things. So ours has always been a more of a, a grassrootsy sort of conference. Um, so talks and, and lectures as well as trainings and workshops. Yeah, I thought, when I saw that, I was really impressed the the shift to the the virtual conference. I think that's a really um, smart move. And I'm curious what it's been like in terms of conference planning to to switch gears that way halfway through. Has it been has it made it sort of easier in a sense because you don't have to do as much logistics, or has it just been like figuring out how to do all virtual logistics all the time? I think for uh, for our summer in person conference that we are you know transitioning away from a lot of the logistics room reservations all that had already been done uh-huh. um, so you know so that was just sort of canceling everything which was fairly easy to do um, but the the virtual I think allows us to to play a little bit more um, hmm. and. Uh, and allows us a little bit more aspect to to reach out and do some different things that we wouldn't be able to do just by we can engage people who may not have been able to go to DC and that's you know in that weekend and now we can sort of engage them on a different level because they can be at home and those sorts of things um, mm-hmm. and typically our student our conference you know inherently from the nature of our organization is very student focused. Um, and leadership development, grassroots advocacy, those sorts of things. Um, we've always had, um, wherever, whatever sort of area we're in, we've had leadership and members from the local sort of atheist, humanist, free thought groups come to our conference because there is, you know, we did a little, a little track of workshops and those sorts of things that were, you know, somewhat designed specifically for them as well as for our students. So there's their value there. And so now we're just going, let's open this up. Um, mm-hmm. so let you know, let's, this can be as broad as possible and we'll still have a focus for our students, but, you know, knowing that American Atheist Conference was canceled and, you know, various others, you know, more sort of regional conferences are canceled. It's fine. Let's, let's have this. And so we've even, it, you know, mentioned to some, uh, you know, have had initial talks of, do we even have a little section at the bottom? Like here's some of, um, you know, American Atheist or FFRF or CFI. Mm-hmm. Here's some of their favorite video clips from their past conferences, so people can mm-hmm. enjoy those as well. And uh, working with the Secular Coalition of America, you know, there, there's I, I, I still hope, hoping to do a lobby day, um, sort of coming up. And so, um, you know, if we can have a conversation with uh, Jared Huffman and some of the people from the Free Thought Caucus, and you mm-hmm. know, they have a new uh, lobbyist on staff, and so let's 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 do that, and you know, have have the lobbyist lead sort of some some interviews and conversations, and let's use that to plug, you know, the upcoming. Um, lobby day that they're having and so we get more people informed and involved and engaged and those sorts of things so if we can if we can do that i think it's even better oh cool so uh i assume that that's on the secular student alliance they can find the information about the conference and i I wanted to just double double back for a second and check that the the hangouts that you mentioned earlier also findable through your website and i also wanted to ask what y'all's feelings were about, you know, if there are folks out there in the world right now who are part of the secular community but have never been part of a secular student alliance but are feeling very isolated and might also value, you know, a hangout to commiserate about the situation. Do y'all have 
sort of a policy in place about um, people kind of joining up during the situation so that they could take part in these online activities? All of our the hangouts and uh, on our website, we have a virtual events tab, which was going to list uh, all of our everything we're um we have virtually um, mm-hmm. our Facebook will are on, on Facebook and social media. We're much more promoting sort of the things that we designed for everyone to participate in. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but reality, no, is if someone is feeling that need, then they are more than welcome to join sort of any of the things that we're offering. Um, so yeah, available on our websites uh, and then clearly Facebook look through our events uh, and we continue to post about them as well. So um, going to secular students uh, there or on Twitter, great place to find about uh, out about what we're doing. Great. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure because I can imagine people listening and being like, that sounds wonderful, but I haven't joined in before. Am I going to seem like a creeper or something like that? So um, so were you all doing this? You were, you had a voter registration drive planned as well for this year. Are you planning on taking that largely online too? The uh, Secular America Votes, where we sort of are leading that project uh, this year, um, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, I would say there's there's uh, I want to say it's eight different members of the secular movement who are involved in it. It could be nine, uh, but there's a there's a cohort of orgs within the secular movement who are involved in this. Um, and so we're sort of taking the lead. But the, the Secular America Votes Project, we really look at just increasing the voter awareness, um, increasing the visibility of the secular movement as a little bit of a voting block. Um, so, so for some legislative credit, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, we just want to make sure as many people are registered to vote in their democratic possi- process as possible. So we are, uh, so we're leading that again, CFI, American Atheist, FFRF, uh, SCA, Black Nonbelievers. Um, uh, I'm sure I'm leaving a couple of organizations out who are, who are involved in it. Um, but really sort of getting as many local groups to do voter registration drives in their local communities. Um, mm-hmm. So with sort of the COVID situation, um, we are doing much more of an uh, online push now and developing some research that will be coming out soon about uh, here's where you can register online. Um here is uh, here's how you can check your registration status. And, and if you go in and register, you can get um, vote in uh, ballots and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So, I th- you know, we I think what we saw in West uh, in Wisconsin about, you know, trying to do vote doing votes, you know, amidst covid I was, I, you know, in. Yeah, non non you know, medical position. <laughs> right. I was just like, really? So we don't know what's going to happen in November. So we just want as many people to vote as possible. Um, and the nice thing about this is, is when people do register to vote, we have a sort of a widget through Rock the Vote. Rock the Vote has a great program, you know, super creditable in what they're doing. Um, we have a, we don't collect any personal information at all, but we do get a little widget that says, yep, one person registered, two people registered. We get some count numbers, mm-hmm. um, which just helps us with some statistics. Um, so what's happening on, on, you know, within individual communities and then what's happening through that sort of widget. And again, no personal information, just, you know, number counts um, that just led, let lead for us to be able to give some information to the free thought caucus. And when people are lobbying and, you know, our, our lobbying organizations that, you know, with CFI and American atheist, American humanist and uh, SCA. So they have a little bit of ammunition of, of going, no, this is growing. And, you know, this is what we're doing. So hopefully that helps in the, in the larger sense. So that's great. 
So as I mentioned earlier, I did want to ask you a little bit about the the broader atheist community as well. I've had a, a fair number of community leaders on the show at this point and talked to them at conferences like um, Nexus, and they've generally been lovely, wonderful people. And yet at the same time, I feel like on the, the sort of big scale of things, there's still a lot of there's a conflict within the atheist community. There's a schism or a tension, it seems like, a lot having to do, I think, with how far we think um, atheism is connected with social justice issues and how much should um, we be including those kinds of concerns within our atheist community, within our atheist um, discussions. And I'm curious if you also experience there being that kind of uh, tension, it seems like, and how your organization has tried to um, either work to address that in various ways. I do think we're seeing, uh, I would say for the national organizations, uh, mm-hmm. I would say there's most of the ad- national organizations are, I think, in a very similar mindset. Hmm. So, um, so, you know, non-belief or, you know, non-religion is uh, separation of church and state is something that brings us all together, which is great. And if that's, if that is for, for people, I think if that's their most important um, identifier or their most, you know, their thing that they're passionate about, uh, passionate about, absolutely fantastic, fully supportive, go for it. And I think, SSA would be, you know, would be to fully support you in whatever realm you want. As and I think many of the national organizations as well. Mm-hmm. I, I t- and I th- and I, uh, you know, t- where we are with with SSA a, a bit, um, and me personally is yes, great. And now and I think coming back now, great. Now how are you going to make it a better place? Like what we're here for? We've got one life. We've got one world. What are you doing with it? So, mm-hmm. so part of that to me is I, I hope that we all leave this world knowing that we individually and collectively had made it a better place for ourselves, but also for other people. Um, and so I think that to me uh, speaks to why we look at the activism part of our organization. Um, and again, that can be in whatever, if it's, if it's, you know, if it's anti-theism and that is your thing, okay, we have some resources on that and go for it. Um, if it's, you know, uh, uh, I want to fight for our planet because I'm a high school student and I realize I have a lot longer time on this earth um, than the rest of you, uh, you know, so the old folks within the movement, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. This is important to me. Great. We have resources on that. We want you to be passionate about that and we want to give you the critical thinking skills in both of those situations uh, and resources on how to be advocates and to be effective and how to communicate and, and, you know, how to be productive in whatever that is. So we want you to be passionate about that. We want you to take that forward. So I do think there, we do see a bit of a growing schism, um, uh, you know, people whose preference isn't towards that is more sort of the, the heart and meat of mm-hmm. the sort of non-religion and separation of church and state. Perfect. Um, and I do think there's people who are more, you know, I think more of, if you quill that social justice realm uh, mm-hmm. of recognizing, yeah, there is a bigger purpose in this. And we, we have to relate this to making this world a better place. Do I think those two can coexist? Of course. Do I, I don't think those are combative and, you know, issues. I think they build mm-hmm. upon each other. So some folks will push back and I mean, they'll, they'll sort of, maybe they're compatible, but they might argue, for example, 
and I'm playing, you know, atheist advocate here. Um, they might argue, for example, that, uh, you know, atheists are already not the most beloved community in the world, right? <laughs> and a lot of what we have to do is try to overcome that kind of um, deeply, deeply ingrained bias against non-believers that seems to have been, you know, worked into humans by culture for a long time. Um, and then if you add on to that a layer of the kind of social justice language and, and advocacy and stuff, also stuff that is, you know, I think to some extent a turnoff to some people, and you can argue whether it's a turnoff to them because they don't want to acknowledge, you know, ethical responsibility versus, um, you know, because certain members of, of social justice communities sometimes talk in ways that are just like not the most productive for, for engaging with people who strongly disagree with them. Um, and so the concern might be that like, if our job is just to get as many non, like if, if our job is to make the world better, right, and we want to make the world better by just getting as many people out of the clutches of religion as possible, right? Should we maybe be focused primarily on that and less on the social justice stuff? Or on the flip side, do you feel that focusing, like putting atheism within the larger context of social justice actually makes for a more effective sort of method of persuasion? Oh, big question. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, I like to start with the softballs and then by the end. No, you're good. Well, here's, uh, um, and I think, uh, so yes, uh, I think that, and I, part of my, I you know I've been involved in the LGBT community for a number of years. I was pride coordinator, gay men's chorus, while a singing group also had multiple um, socially impactful programs. You know, tour, you know, going into cities and touring and you know speaking with youth and those sorts of things. So I come from an activist background uh, in any way. But I, I think the atheist community, and I, I, I mean, I, this is not new news, has, I think, learned a lot from the LGBT community. And as far as, you know, hmm. sort of that ostracism from religion, if you will, um, and the societal aspects of that. Uh, and I think one thing, one of the things that I think is, is truly important, and, you know, Harvey Milk, you know, we've, we've have to come out, coming out makes the difference. If, you know, if everyone knows someone who's gay, it changes the world instantly. And I think that's a, a large part of the same thing for non-religion and atheism. You know, when mm -hmm. you, I mean, because I, I still think that stereotype of the angry atheist and the the baby eater, the devil worshiper, is still, you know, is still rings true for a lot of people, especially a lot of devout religious people. But once you know, once you meet your neighbor and you know your neighbor and you've broken bread together, to use a slightly religious term, mm -hmm. um, you've drinking some wine together, you know, you've you've had the block party together, you've taken care of each other's kids, you know, it's and then you learn that they're an atheist. It's it's you that personalization opens up a complete different world of education and transformation that makes a difference. Um, so I think there is an inherent value in, in being open and advocate. And I think that's what we do. Part of our mission with SSA is very strongly in that realm. And I would say most of our efforts are in that realm. Uh, and we have students who are Republicans and, and Democrats and conservative and not and libertarian and I mean, you know, social mm -hmm. justice and not. So and we try mm -hmm. to be open and embracing to everyone because we want to be as, as open as possible. That's, that's but great. I do think that, and I think one thing that LGBT movement did very strongly, especially around marriage, um, marriage equality, mm -hmm. and, and to some, and with positive and negatives uh, outcomes, but was was there was a, a super intentional effort to build bridges with 
uh, open-minded, welcoming religious groups. And again, most of that was to change perspectives and to build alliances that would help move things forward. So I think we're, you know, we're, we're, we're stronger together than we are apart. Um, so wherever you can build those bridges. So if it's, if it's the atheist community realizing that a large part of racism in the United States comes from slavery um, and this strong inherent justification of the Bible in that entire process, and then looking at what it's done with Jim Crow laws and, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, housing and mm -hmm. all unemployment mm -hmm. and, and all those things and how that's made, you know, we have an inherent value of, of working with people who are who are working to undo some of that to get the religion the Christian nationalism and religious bigotry out of that mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that one I think it's we have it a crucial point of pointing that out and going you realize where the roots of this come from for a large there's multiple roots um, but a large part in the United States and and that's I think a worthy conversation of us to have in that mm -hmm. and also then for people of color who are non-religious and oftentimes and i think mandisa thomas will tell you this it's extremely difficult to in the black community and you have black atheists who will never tell anyone because of the ostracism mm -hmm. that will take place um so do we then build a more welcoming community for those people and they go hey i may see myself in this place and broaden our perspective and broaden our reach and broaden the numbers and that community where we're, you know, we're continuing to gain non-religious people are more and more in the United States, but that demographic not. So can we help with that? I mean, clearly I think there's a strong relationship between the LGBT community and, and the non-religious community. So, you know, the numbers of LGBT people who are non-religious is far more than any other quote, you know, population in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I, those, that, that bridge building and working together and having an entire movement understand that you're good people and helping spread that message for you. I think there's inherent value of us doing that. I think that's a really great point. Um, so I realize we're getting close to the end here, and I wanted to end with one practical question before I, I dive into the lightning round. Um, for folks just who want to start a branch of the SSA at their school, what does that require? Who do they contact? Is it is it like you know they click a button on your website, or is there anything else more they need to know before they they try to set that up? Uh, easy thing, yeah. Easy thing to go to our website is um, there's find a chapter. So find a chapter, start a chapter. So mm -hmm. you can see if there's a chapter already in your area. Easy, easy way to join. Uh, if they want to start a chapter, it's literally clicking a button. Uh, it sends us an email. We have campus organizing staff that solely work with with the students on their campuses, and uh, we we have a uh, we, uh, we call it a chapter starter kit sample constitutions, stuff you're going to need for your campus, free publicity materials. We send a banner. Uh, here's how to do tabling on your campus. We will send free publicity. Um, so literally they can, you know, they can go to the Staples and we'll just, we'll ship it. And, you know, we send it off Staples prints it and they just go pick it up um, already mm -hmm. paid for. Um, so we try to make that as easy as possible for them. Um, and clearly this, the COVID world is a little bit different right now, but yes, yeah, mm -hmm. su super easy to do that. Um, and then they, you know, coming to our, you know, trainings and networking with other student leaders and all of those things sort of takes place and program, program ideas, program guides, grants to help them on their campuses, speakers and those sorts of things. Um, so we, you know, all of that becomes instant resources for them. So, and I think if also someone, uh, someone knows of a student who, 
you know, who may not be aware of us, please share the information. So spread that word. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, super easy. And we, and again, we want it to be student initiated. We want the students to, to be the ones who are advocating that and doing that on their campus. And we find the success rates go up tremendously when the students are passionate about it, of course. I think that's really great. Okay. Well, now I have to torture you, unfortunately, um, sure. as is required for all of our uh, listeners uh, who haven't heard this before. Um, we end with a lightning round. I will give you a list of things. You will tell me if those things are real or not real. Those are your two <laughs> options. You do not real get not to real. hedge. You do not get to explain what the word real means. You have to simply say real or not real. Do you, do you okay. feel like you understand the rules? I do, but here's my, you know, I imagine Neil had a really hard time with this. Oh, yes. This is torture for every individual. And it's okay. um, it's a profound torture that you don't realize how bad it is until it starts. So you can think that you're ready for it, but you probably aren't actually ready for it. Um, but let me ask you this. I have to prime you, right? Is anything real? Yes. Okay. So let's find out what's real. Okay. Is the external world real? Yes. Okay. Are colors real? Yes. Phenomenal consciousness? Uh, sure, yes. Okay. Free will? <laughs> yes. Selves or persons? Yes. Genders? Yes. Races? No. Species? Yes. Morality? Yes. <laughs> Rights? Uh, yes. <laughs> Knowledge? Yes. God or gods? No. Society? Yes. Numbers? Numbers, yes. Fictional characters? Yes. Holes as in a hole in the ground? <laughs> Yes. Chairs? <laughs> yes. Sandwiches? Yes. Science? Yes. Natural laws? Yes. Beauty? Uh. <laughs> Why did you just call it to somebody who just said doesn't exist? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, gosh, you want to explain so many of these. Uh, yes. Causality. Yes. And finally, dharmas. Dharmas. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, you survived. <laughs> How do you feel? Uh, like I really want to go back and explain a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to everyone's experience. <laughs> Some of those were really painful. It's brutal, right? It shouldn't be yeah. so brutal, and yet it is. Wow. Well, and it's also you try to do it so quick, and like, well, there's this, but then there's this, and I don't know, you know, like some of those I'd want, like I'd want 15 minutes just to think about it myself. Yeah, no, this is finely yeah. tuned by our our void torture experts to make sure that people end up hating themselves halfway through. <laughs> um, well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a really fun chat. Um, do you want to let folks know one more time? Hit them up with all the deets on where they can find all the useful information. Sure. Uh, our our webpage, easiest place to probably find most of it, uh, secularstudents.com. 
org. Uh, also Facebook. We, I mean, we really keep that Facebook uh, updated and active. Um, and again, I think just most of uh, our program, everything that we offer to the students is free. And so we're really the, the generous support of donors, um, lar- you know, clearly a largely non-students who are the ones that make our work possible. And I think understand that we need to invest in the next generation, the secular movement. So you can also go to our page to donate as well. Great. And, and Twitter handle, any chance? Uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter and Facebook are secular students. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun um, and good luck out there uh, helping your students with the current crisis. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was good talking with you. Thanks again to all our listeners and especially to our patrons who make the show possible. I want to give a shout out to two new patrons. One is the T for Two podcast and another is a top tier $40 a month patron who has chosen to remain anonymous, which means we can cross backed by dark money off our cult bingo card. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. And as always, I must thank our top tier patrons, our $20 tier patrons, Jude Law's Canadian accent and existence makes my pussy throb. Volunteer this summer. Learn more at campquest.org. Certainly got your money's worth on that one this week. Uh, Chad T and Jesse Urbinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And thanks to our forever and eternity top patron, Dave Maslich. Thank you all so very much. If you'd like to support the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app. Please follow us on Twitter at ETVPod. And if you are an eccentric billionaire or if you notice just a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you our bonus book club content. But most importantly, remember, you are the void, and the void is you.